Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to Your Book, the podcast for literary nosy parkers. I'm your book inspector, Daisy Buchanan. I want to start by saying the biggest thank you to everyone who has been supporting my first novel, Insatiable, a love story for greedy girls. I think Waterstones, Blackwells and Foils have a few more signed copies and I've signed lots of books for local indies, including City Books in Hove, The Seven Oaks Bookshop, Book Bar in Highbury and The Margate Bookshop. If you're listening when this episode is released, I'm doing an Instagram live event with Tandem Collective UK at seven o'clock on Wednesday the 3rd of March. Hopefully soon I'll be announcing some events for this summer. I really hope I'll be seeing you in person, and if hugging is allowed, I will not be holding back. Now, on to today's guest. I have loved Jill Mansell for a long, long time. Ever since I found my teenage boyfriend's mum's copy of Head Over Heels, and fell Head Over Heels myself for Jessie and Toby, her first love, back in her life via Hollywood. Jill is prolific, and she writes literary universes I want to live in. Gorgeous, glamorous places with a moral centre, where being good, kind and brave is rewarded, and where the worst people usually evolve, change their ways and see the light. Jill has done wonders for my mental health, and I've been hiding in her words and worlds for the last year. We talked about Kindle fever, being addicted to heroines, declaring your own classics, and Nora Ephron. And I'd love to know about your relationship with reading and when that started and what sort of reader you were like as a child and a teenager and how it's evolved. Oh, well, gosh, um, as soon as I could read, I was reading. I absolutely loved it. And I read all the Enid Blytons, obviously. And um, I got very into the Laura Ingalls Wilder books, the Little House on the Prairie ones. I loved those. I used to take them out of the library every week <laughs> take them back take them out again quickly so that nobody else could have them and um I just used to love rereading so much that in the end my mum got quite worried about me because I would never read new books I would just stick to reading the the old ones all the time yeah no I was a huge huge reader until I suppose I hit puberty and discovered boys instead and then I went off reading massively and then it wasn't until Oh, yeah, I was ill and I was recuperating in bed from surgery for a couple of months. Then I sort of had to, because we didn't have the internet and we didn't have 
TV in the rooms, far too luxurious. <laughs> so I had to get into reading then. And so then that was it. I got back into it then and it stayed with me pretty much ever since. I really want to ask you more about that. But um, first of all, I want to talk about Laura Ingalls Wilder. And I love that idea of you taking the books out so no one else could have them. And I was thinking about I think she writes them in the third person, but they still feel just so intimate and so personal, don't they? And I I love the idea that you felt as though she was telling the story to you and only you. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, I can't remember. I, I usually can't remember whether books are in the first person or third person. And uh, and they were so, um, so different to how we grew up as well, I suppose. It was just fascinating to think that they did just have... Um, I can't even remember what they had in their Christmas stocking, but it was some tiny little thing. And I just used to think, my goodness, I get presents. I get proper presents and they'd get like a pair of hand-knitted socks or something and be thrilled with them. <laughs> oh, like the Christmas when Pa gets lost on his way back from the big town and um, he's had to eat their candy to stay alive. And I remember thinking, I mean, it's great that he's alive and all, but I'd be a little bit upset. <laughs> But it's funny, isn't it? Because I always think of them as being such cosy books as well. And they're really not cosy, are they? They're describing... They're not. Really it was one disaster times. after the other. And funnily enough, I've always hated books with sort of disastrous things happening in them. So um, I would have quite enjoyed having a book with, with no disasters because that would have made me happy. <laughs> and just knowing that they were more happy. Of course, now I know that those sort of things, you know, don't make a good book. But yeah, there's the locusts, isn't there? And there's the bears and wherever they go, there's some new awful thing to make life so, so difficult. Uh, yeah, I found them absolutely fascinating. So when you were ill, roughly what sort of time are we talking and which books were you reaching for? I, I just remember because I had to go home and live with my parents again. Um, so as so I could be looked after. It was quite major surgery, but it was nothing really horrendous. Once it was done, it was done and that was it. But uh, so I just remember being stuck upstairs in bed for weeks on end. And my mum would, um, well, maybe she, yeah, she must have gone to the library for me, but she gave me um, Susan Howitch books. Gosh, this is a distant memory. This is 40 years ago, Daisy. <laughs> Susan Howitch, because great big fat books that would keep me quiet for a long, long time. P.D. James, I honestly can't remember, but that, that was the beginning of it. And it was shortly after that, I suppose, that I got into the um, the Jilly Cooper. And then that I found my genre, that was what I really loved. But there weren't many books in that genre at the time. It was really rare to have a book like Jilly's. There weren't many, were there? No, I, I think that's why... I was just thinking about, I think, rivals in particular today. And mm -hmm. quite often, I'm often scared off a really big book. I think it does feel a bit like school, but you know, they're so, her, the Rupture Chronicles are so enormous. I think even in those books where there's romance and lots of um, source and all the rest of it, quite often the warmth and the humour and the light and the fun and the funniness is. That's not something that, you know, I think when Jilly was doing it, I don't think there were many contemporaries who were as there full of there, fun. Are, there are thousands of books in that genre now. And back then it was like a complete revelation. I didn't know that there could be books like this. So I just completely fell in love. 
what was the first was it a Jilly romance or were you yes it must have been because when I was um young my parents didn't have the Sunday Times but she used to write a column in the Sunday Times and I'm propping this iPad up here at the moment on a copy of um, her between the covers (laughs) (laughs) but my uncle who lived in Coventry did and every few weeks he'd come down from Coventry to um, Gloucestershire to visit us for the afternoon and he knew that I loved them so he would cut out her columns and bring them to me in an envelope and I used to be so so excited about reading them and I used to read them to piece to bits until they until they fell to pieces and then as soon as I discovered the the skinny romances obviously loved them and then once Riders came out I was away it was my favorite thing ever you were primed and ready to go because oh, I, I just I love her the romance heroines so much. I think Imogen and Harriet are my favourites, and it's because these women are so vulnerable, almost to the point of being quite wet. But they do really, really courageous things when it's the least suspected thing. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And I think um, I think we quite I quite liked them being quite wet because. I was a bit wet myself <laughs> and, and it's nice to know that you know it's all very well you know I obviously I adore Jackie Collins and her kick-ass heroines who never let anybody get them down but that wasn't me and so it, it's nice to read um, something about a character who is quite like me and yeah and will sort of yearn after somebody who's way out of her league and treats them like shit but um d- doesn't have the courage to say you don't deserve me off you go <laughs> oh, that's the fantasy isn't it because Imogen is I think my favorite of those books and I love that that it ends with her going to the most sort of glamorous parties in you know Cannes which is like sort of the toast of Saint-Tropez or whatever but it begins with her you know at a jumble sale and she's really in that sort of very, very familiar world before she gets to go into the glamorous and exotic one. And I think that Jilly has always done that so beautifully. And that's what I loved, reading between the covers and those... Co- and I was quite surprised because I've read as much of her journalism as I could get my hands on over the years. And obviously, some of it has aged better than other parts of it because it you know her whole her gift is writing so beautifully and accurately about that time which was a, a very different time and oh, I was yeah. just so delighted and struck by how the columns chosen for that book are so resonant now and she is you know fabulous and glamorous but she is so open and honest about you know worrying about bills and being cold and the house being a tip and everything sort of falling around her ears. Oh, yes. And I'm just like that. I mean, that's the best thing about this whole COVID thing is knowing that you don't have to dust <laughs> dust things because nobody's going to come into the house. I'm looking at all the dust here. <laughs> but she's just saying what we all think on, or are slightly ashamed of sometimes, but don't want to sort of publicly admit. I love that. I love them anything like that but yeah she was um, an amazing catalyst for my career I suppose you know that's what I've always loved so much about your books the domesticity is tactile and the glamour is tactile too and that the pure escapism and I think now you know I need that escapism more than ever and I 
you know, I remember going into bookshops and sort of having, you know, a limited budget. And I think I maybe read, I think I bought First Friends in an airport. And it was a weird time because it was the first time I'd ever flown on my own. And the plane got turned around halfway. I'm not quite sure how it happened. It was after September the 11th. And there were people on the plane who I believe were planning to blow it up because it was after that that they brought in the, you know, no liquids over 100 millilitres. And I was going to Florida to join my friend who's at Disney World and I was going via Boston. And the plan was apparently to blow up the plane at Boston. Um, Daisy! Oh and... my God! <laughs> <laughs> but I just remember, because the man next to me as well, because I was quite, because I, I mean, I wasn't very... I was not a sophisticated or international person in our family holidays we normally, you know, get in the car and go to France. So it was quite a, an undertaking, admittedly, to Disney World, which isn't very um, intrepid. But, you know, this man saying, oh, well, you know, if there was a fault with the plane, we'd, we'd be able to land in Canada. Well, they're turning the plane around it. We've got terrorists. And I was like, oh, well, we, we don't know that. We, we don't know anything, really, do we? I'm just going to read my book. And it was Fast Friends kept me calm and got me through. Wow, gosh. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And that was, I think, possibly looking back on it, and I'm not, I haven't thought about this before, but it's not until you were talking about the Jilly Cooper heroines that I think Camilla, who was sort of the main character in Fast Friends, she is quite a drippy, um, meek, probably kind of based on the Jilly Cooper. Yes. I hadn't realised that. Because Camilla is so brave when she needs to be brave for the people she loves and she's not she goes on a journey (laughs) she doesn't oh oh, but it begins with that magnificent feat of bravery where she is it a um vase full of roses and water and she flings at her terrible terrible husband something like that yes i've got a terrible memory for my books (laughs) but um i did have to read through that one for because it only came um out in the states last year or maybe the year before really Yes, it was the first time that it was published there. Were there any updates made to it or was it really? Well, it's very difficult um, because one came out, Two's Company came out last week in the States for the very first time. And it's those older books of mine. um, It's really difficult because who is it? The editors, whichever. I I get very confused by line editors and copy editors and things. But um, somebody in America, they always try and update the books And I have to explain to them that we can't update them too much because then if people had phones, they would be able to contact each other. Mm. Um, And the whole point of the plot back then was not being able to contact people if if you were sort of out of the house because there was no way. So the phone thing and books that years ago I wrote that sort of dealt with oh well I know my real biological father's name but how in the world can I ever track him down (laughs) and now you're just five seconds in google oh there he is he's on facebook hi dad (laughs) so the the world has changed so much and so the books the publishers do try and update them but you can't really because that would ruin the whole plot so it's like pulling a thread of a jumper and suddenly there's no jumper yeah if only I could knit, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what have you been reading over this very strange year where we've had all of this time and absolutely no chance of concentrating? I've been for years going through a very big um, World War II. I love reading World War II fiction. 
and I, I like a lot of nonfiction as well. Um, I sort of reached my, not peak, I don't know what the word is. Well, 10 years ago, I had glandular fever and stopped being able to read at all. I couldn't concentrate for more than sort of a page of anything. So I didn't, didn't read at all then. And then over the years, it gradually came back, but I couldn't bear to read any sort of rom com stuff. Anything in my own genre, which I used to absolutely adore and read everything. Um, now I just, I, I feel like a computer that's completely full and it just doesn't appeal to me anymore. I like things that are the opposite. I love a good thriller. Um, do you want me to give you a few of the examples of the ones I've been reading? Yes, please do. I want to ask about World War II books as well, but we can come back to that. <laughs> well, I don't, I have no idea why I, I have this sort of obsession with it, but when everybody says, um, I love reading escapist, romantic, happy books like mine during lockdown to cheer them up. I sort of feel as if I like reading books. I, d I, I don't mean to sound this to sound um, awful in any way, and it might do, but uh, when you read about people who are imprisoned in Auschwitz um, for years on end, and their lives are so difficult, you sort of compare what they went through with what we're going through this year. I just think, how dare people complain when 60 years ago there was all that? It's not 60 years ago now, it's more than that. <laughs> but, but I have always just found people being brave is so fascinating to me. And I know I wouldn't ever be that brave in the situations, the people who belong to special operations executive and were parachuted into France. And I'm just so admiring of those people. I think there is an awful lot to be said for gratitude. And you're so right. I think that now it's so easy to lose perspective. And I think that we talk a lot about how, you know, it's the age of comparison and we're all looking at, you know, what everyone else has got and it's very bad for us. And I think, you know, we know that intellectually, but I don't, I think this is maybe the year that we've begun to really emotionally understand just how, how bad it is for us and how we know we have more than ever. And also we are, we have never been more surrounded by news, you know, and I know the two things don't compare in many ways, but there's all we know, it's just like wartime. It's like, I think we have so much more in the way of comfort and safety and security than oh, exactly. anyone's had during a world war. The other thing is during the Second World War, my understanding is there was some belief that, you know, for the sake of sort of morale, it didn't do to dwell and you'd get, you know, maybe one sort of BBC news bulletin with a limited amount of need-to-know information. I'm not arguing for a second about propaganda, but if World War II was now, it would be everywhere you looked on 500, 5,000 different channels. Like, there's a war, there's a war, don't forget there's a oh, war. Oh, absolutely. This is, this is why we think the war is bad. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, our, what we're going through, it really doesn't compare with that, but um, this is the worst we've known things to be, so... That's, this is all we've got, our personal experience. But uh, yeah, I don't only read those. I read um, oh, Kate Quinn, who's an American author who wrote uh, The Alice Network and The Huntress. Her new book is called The Rose Code. And I've read that. It's about Bletchley Park Ooh. and The Enigma. And oh, it's fantastic. It's a really it's that's a big. In sort of wartime. It sort of alternates between during and just after, like a few years afterwards. Gillian McAllister, thrillers, going back to thrillers, Gillian McAllister is 
my favorite I think my favorite at the moment her plotting is just out of this world I really love her books uh, where I haven't read her and I'd love to where should I start how to disappear is amazing it's about witness protection and I'm so impressed by because I know a few people who write in you know crime and sort of psychological thrillers and in that family and the level of research they do and the attention to detail is so impressive yes she was uh, a solicitor but uh, now she's writing full-time and uh, I th- she does an awful lot of research as well which is something luckily I don't have to do with my books <laughs> <laughs> because I'm not a great one for sort of in-depth research like Katie Ford will go and do the job of her new character for a week or two to see what what it all involves and I don't do any of that I just sort of make it up as best I can (laughs) that's such a great idea though and I'm wondering what um, Katie Ford might say well my next book is about an ice cream tester or um, my next book is someone who reviews cruises (laughs) (laughs) oh but I did want to ask you about this book and now you're back which I'm so so enjoying and I noticed that you were talking about an event in the Cotswolds in Stowe on the Wold was that when we did our event together. Yes. Is that yes. where? Yes, we did a lovely event together. And uh, and that hotel was just out of this world, wasn't, wasn't it? It was beautiful. so beautiful. So I remember yeah. you showing me lots of gorgeous pictures that you'd taken, um, sort of walking around or on the train to get a feel for the area. And I remembered, and I'd completely forgotten about it until now, that, you know, glimmer of, and I, it's such a, a gorgeous Well, place. I did actually say that evening during the book event I, I said to the audience, I'm so in love with this hotel and this town that I'm going to have to set my next book there. And I did. I've changed the names of the town and the hotel and obviously changed little bits to suit my story. But uh, yes, it's there. And that's what gave me inspiration for it. Are there any places in the world or in the country it can be as global or as local as you like that you have been moved to visit because you read about them in a book and you were so drawn to them well I've never been to New York and I've always wanted to go to New York so that's never happened and it must happen at some stage so yes I'll I'll make a point of going to New York Um, well anywhere in America literary bits of New York you're spoiled for choice I just read a book called The Party of the Century the author escapes me but it's about uh, Truman Capote's black and white ball and that's very sort of mid-century Manhattan that's a lot of fun oh lovely I'll look out for that Luster by Raven Olani it's a good New York book although it's quite her life in New York is a the life of a downhearted broke 20 something so I'm not sure that it works as a kind of um, tourist brochure. (laughs) Okay, Um, I'm trying to think of a a, a New York book. I mean, there must have been loads. Um, A a real old favourite of mine that I've read so many times is 84 Charing Cross Road, Helen Hamph. Oh, I've always wanted to read that. I must. Oh, it's fantastic. Have you seen the film? No. Oh, well, the film is absolutely brilliant as well. Is the film also uh, called 84 Charing Cross Road? Yes. And what's it about? Is it about a bookshop? It's about a bookshop in London. uh, Is it during the war, just after the war, post-war, when rationing was still very much in position? And Helena Hanf is a writer in New York. And she's not wealthy, but she's, um, she's ordering her books that she 
is dying to read very specialist secondhand books from this uh, little bookshop on Charing Cross Road. And she just builds up a friendship with the guy who sends her the books. And then she sends the food parcels over. And because for her, it's so cheap to send a parcel of food that is still rationed in, um, in England. And so it's this lovely um, friendship that builds up and they never meet spoiler alert <laughs> and it's <laughs> and uh and she wrote it about 70 years ago so they have this lovely dialogue throughout um many 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 years and then she finds out that eventually that he has died and it's not until more years after that that she's able to get over to the UK and she goes to the shop and sort of meets the people who worked with this guy Frank Dole uh, it's a it's the most beautiful book, and she is such a character. And and the, but the film is also lovely. I mean, really, all I want to read is a book that has a bookshop in it and a book with food parcels in. And any book where food is sort of scarce, but then when it turns up, it's really lavish. Any tuck, any girls boarding school. I don't unpacking. know about lavish, but it's sort of like a tin of ham. Oh my goodness! Thank you so much. <laughs> that sounds pretty lavish in those times. Yes. <laughs> I mentioned this book on the podcast a lot, but I really love it. And it's um, World War II. Lissa Evans, her latest V for Victory. There's a really good dramatic unpacking of hampers at the end that I think about often. Yes, I've read that. I love it. Yeah. Are there any other food books that you're fond of? Or, uh, whether it's a, an actual recipe book or a book where food is described with great importance and deliciousness. Um, gosh, Mary Wesley, the chamomile lawn yes. is, I don't know that food makes a huge appearance. I'm not one for recipe books. I'm a terrible, terrible cook. I, we buy ready meals and we, and we um, in happier times, we go out to restaurants. And... But I do vaguely remember Mary Wesley being good on booze in her books and lots of things take place around the pub. And actually... Um, your celebrity fan Ella Risbridger is a very big Mary Wesley fan and we had her on the podcast and we were talking about how we think there needs to be a Wesley renaissance. I read all of her I, re I, I listened to that podcast actually yes ah. I remember listening to it. Oh yes I listen in <laughs> <laughs> I love your podcast because your voice is so lovely and so smooth I could listen to you forever <laughs> Oh thank you so much we'll keep that bit in <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, there's one of your books. I might have talked to you about this before. Head Over Heels, I believe, where um, someone's had a shock and needs a, a comforting snack and they are self-medicating with white wine and dolly mixtures. Oh! <laughs> and I was thinking about how those are the details as well, that Jilly is good rivals, Taggy, filling the deep freezers yes. and making yeah. heavenly, heavenly food for everyone. Yes. I'm not very good at descriptions of food. And the book that I'm currently working on, this guy has his own restaurant. So I'm being quite sort of sparse with my descriptions of food. But uh, so it's, it's not something I love. I don't like descriptions of anything. I'm not very good at describing what Jilly does. Jilly Cooper does so brilliantly is describing scenes of the countryside and flowers and trees and things. And they're my worst nightmare. I love reading them, but I, I can't write them to save my life. So I don't do many of those. I think she's very immersive and there are definitely, but some people love this sort of thing. They love a good tree. I often 
read a very, you know, long and beautiful and flowering and poetic description of something bucolic and think, gosh, writer's having a lovely time there. Reader, not so sure. We're just <laughs> showing off all the different words you know about trees. And what I love about Jilly is everything is very immediate. And I think that sometimes people use language in a way that removes it and you feel more like you're looking at a painting. And Jilly takes from what's around her and makes it something you can really, really touch and smell. And she's really sort of holding it up to your face saying, look at Well, it. that's her talent, isn't it? She's good at that. And have you read The Common Years? You must have read The Common Years. Yes. I love The Common Years. It's like going for a walk without having to actually go for a walk. Mm. <laughs> I was thinking that about nature writing not being my favourite, but then she does it so beautifully. And it's her animals as well, I think, that you love so much that she sort of, she sees them and she that's what brings that space to life so beautifully yeah I think so yeah it's because she loves everything like that every um she she loves her animals obviously and uh it, it just comes across her emotions her feeling for them did she have a dog called Maidstone or something who comes up in um between yes the yes so she probably got the name Maidstone and then when she was writing the book used the same process of sticking, well, she stick, stuck a pin in a map, didn't she? And it just came out of Seven Oaks. But so. it must have been a map of Kent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll see if she'll, um, she'll get a job called Margate. I'll pitch that to her as a, <laughs> as a Margation. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. We'll be back to Jill soon, but now it's time for my Steal of the Week, The Impatient Pen by Nikki Haslam. The last few months, all I've wanted is glamour and escape, the opposite of a dystopia in book form. 
I've wanted mid-century aristocrats and full-time bohemians living in big houses, going to big parties and avoiding any full-time employment that might get in the way of a healthy day drinking schedule. If any of that speaks to you, The Impatient Pen, the collected journalism of Nicky Haslam, is a haven of giddy luxury and fun. His profile of Lee Radziwill must be read to be believed, and Stephen Tennant makes Truman Capote look like Victor Meldrew. The Impatient Pen by Nikki Haslam is published by Zuleika and it's out now. Now, back to Jill. I think you mentioned enjoying non-fiction. Is there anything that you've read lately that you've really connected with? Odette by Gerard Tickell. It's an old one and that's about Odette um, Hallows Churchill who was in the SOE during World War II. Um, she was half French but living in England, grew up in England and then she was recruited by the SOE to... Um, go over to France and then after doing a fair amount she was captured and um, imprisoned and tortured. She was slightly involved with, she had a bit of an affair going with another guy who was in there called Peter Churchill. So when she was at risk of being executed she told them that she was the wife of Peter Churchill and they were related to Winston Churchill and that essentially saved her life because they didn't quite have the nerve to execute her because of that. Anyway, she did survive and uh, they did marry after the war. Uh, it's, a, it's a fascinating book. I've read it. It's one of those that I've read through the years over and over again and uh, just fascinated oh, by her. Truly fascinating. And also the perfect book for anyone who needs a bit of a reminder of how good they have it. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I can't, the, the presence of mind, I think if I was on the brink of execution, I'm not sure it's, oh, you, you can't execute me for these reasons. I just thought, okay, then I guess this is it. Well, I suppose she'd been um, stuck in a cell for months. She'd had a, a time to think of it. But again, nowadays, people would just um, Google that and see if it was true. No, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> but back then, they didn't have any way of being able to tell whether it was or not. I don't know, do you know that book, another book I talk about far too much on this podcast, um, When Hitler Stole Pink Rabbit by Judith Kerr, who wrote The Tiger Who Came to Tea. Um, and it's her, it's sort of YA, but I think it reads so beautifully sort of however old you are. And she wrote these um, books, I think they're a trilogy. And the first person, When Hitler Stole Pink Rabbit, um, it's kind of it, an autobiographical novel, I guess. So it's about her father, who's a very well-known Jewish writer, and how they must leave Berlin. They live all over Europe as refugees. I will read that. Do you know what I've heard about it? But I think I always assumed it was uh, a picture book. Oh, no, I think it's so far up your alley. And oh, they're beautiful books. That sounds so up my street. I'm going to order those the moment we stop talking. I've, I've just found my Kindle app here now on my phone. So I'm going to look at my, um, I downloaded the Let's Do It Victoria Wood last night, going oh. on to cheerier matters. <laughs> Have you started it yet? I've got it. Only a couple of pages. I haven't really got into it. And um, oh, and there's a, a really good book that I recommend, which is, it's about Nora, Nora Ephron's script writing and and about her and it's called I'll Have What She's Having by Erin Carlson. Oh yes please. And it's all about her three most popular films obviously When Harry Met Sally and um, the ones that come after that I can't remember. Uh, you've Got um, Mail? Yes. And Sleepless in Seattle? 
yes and so there's so much sort of intricate backstory and we're finding out so many details that's a really lovely book I really thoroughly enjoyed it so much so that she has another book out um uh, it's called Queen Meryl and it's all about Meryl Streep and I enjoyed oh. that book so much that I downloaded um Queen Meryl because I will I know I'll love reading about Meryl Streep um what else oh and sweet little book that I don't think many people have read Eloisa James is a She's a Shakespeare professor. Um, she's American. She writes light Georgian romances, pretty similar to the sort of Bridgerton type thing. But she's written a book or wrote years ago called Paris in Love. And it's a diary, basically. I think she put it up on Facebook to begin with. It was just her diary of moving to live in France with her husband and her children. And I just found it so charming and funny and she's got such a light touch i would really recommend that that's a gorgeous book that sounds like my favorite sort of thing very i'm a little bit envious of the people who are you know, good at at regency books because they're really hot right now they are aren't they but um i could never do that i'm never tempted to even try and write anything historical because i guess it's so horribly wrong i know i would <laughs> well i think i've said this before there are some that i really love And I suppose it's a difference, isn't it, between if you read a book that was, say, set in the 20s, but written in the 20s, they're not explaining things. They assume that you know what they're writing about because they're writing as though the only audience they know is a contemporary one. Mm. And I occasionally do read sort of historical fiction and I can almost see someone thinking, can't let all this research go to waste. And um, I think it's if you want to learn about something that's wonderful. And I don't always, which is a shameful thing to admit. Yeah, I need, I'm, like a, I'm like a dog. I need my good-for-me medication wrapped up in um, a tin of ham. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully, now that Bridgerton's just been so wildly successful, more um, things like that will be picked up by um, Netflix and TV companies because... It's it's a whole new genre. When Julia Quinn got the word that they were wanting to turn her books into um, TV for, for Netflix, Shonda Rhimes, no less, she just said, well, no, nothing ever like that ever happens to us Regency writers because nobody makes them. But they've made it so fresh. I'm assuming you have watched Bridgerton. Yes, I've been, I'm sort of starting, I'm trying to save it for a treat. I remember as a preteen reading, I think I must have read Sense and Sensibility as my first Jane Austen, and my mum loves Jane Austen, and I think Pride and Prejudice had just been on the telly. I think I saw the trailer, and I just saw, you know, dancing and dresses and snogging, and I thought, oh, I'm gonna love this. And my mum said, oh, no, we've we read the book first. This is Jane Austen. This is my woman. And that we, we read the book first. So, and I did love it. And I loved the humour of it. And I was sort of aware that there were clever bits that were going over my head, but I could just about begin to work them out through context. And I was sort of having a lovely time. However, I was sort of having my own secret Bridgerton-esque fantasies of being in a sort of modern version of that world where there was a lot more in the way of snogging and balls and it had mm. that and then when I saw Bridgerton I was like oh, it's it's what 11 year old me has you know wanted the whole time yeah. <laughs> well I've got a terrible shameful confession I've never read Jane Austen um I've never 
I've never really watched them on the TV, although I do remember watching Sense and Sensibility, that film. And I read the book about the making of it as well, which was by Emma Thompson. And, and that was really fascinating. But uh, no, I'm not really a great one for anything be, before World War One. Yeah, the Brontes. I've never read anything by the Brontes. I've tried and just gave up quickly. I've never told anyone this, Jill. Uh-oh. I want to love the Brontes so much more than I do. And I have the utmost respect for, I believe we would not have books as we know them without the Brontes. And I really ought to have another go. But I think it's just, I've never, it, because the world they're describing is so bleak, emotionally bleak and practically bleak. And it's a bit like Dickens. I have read so little Dickens because I just never fancy it much. Which That's is it. I know. That's I just I just want to live in Russia. I just want well, to there's hang so out with there's Rupert so Campbell. many books, and we we like what we like, and sometimes we just think, oh, I'm sure that's very nice, but I just haven't got time to read everything. I wish I could download books. I've said this so many times. When I have a download a Kindle, I want to download the book instantaneously into my brain, um, without having to give up hours and hours. Which sounds dreadful because the whole point of enjoying reading is that you love spending hours and hours reading a book and being in that world but but yeah there isn't time for all of us to any of us to read everything so let's just accept that I think if you've had periods of reading being both a, a comfort and a balm and also being something that you know after being ill you couldn't connect with I think something that people are quick to forget is that reading the whole point is pleasure and comfort and fun first. Instruction too. But I think that there are lots of people who are very rigorous or quite forceful about their opinions of, you know, how, who you must read and when you must have read it. And I think those people are ruining reading for the rest of us. That the joy of it is, it, of all the hobbies, I would say that it can be one of the cheapest and most accessible and best for our mental health. You know, it's such a a calming thing, I think, to oh, compared absolutely. with lots of the other things that are available to us to lose ourselves in a world. I saw something. Um, I uh, joined a book forum thing for an event, but I just happened to look myself up on there and I saw somebody <laughs> say, this is terrible. I probably shouldn't say this, but uh, I saw somebody say, um, don't judge, please don't judge me, but I really like Jill Mansell's books. <laughs> Luckily, other people said, so do I. But uh, they were obviously terrified that people were going to sort of sneer and look down their noses at her for daring to say that. <laughs> oh, I'm used to it. I think it's funny. It, it makes a story. And I know that my books are very sort of light and uh, sort of, straightforward entertainment but sometimes we just like straight you know straightforward entertainment and we don't want to learn difficult things well that's the thing you know you are you write about pleasure and fun and you're a book that people will race home to read you know, people want to be in your book when they're away from it and wouldn't you much rather be that than the huge hardback on the nightstand where people think oh I really ought to make myself read another 10 pages before bed yes yes I would I would I'm, I'm really happy with 
my genre and where I am in the book world, it's just been, it's just been fantastic. Never expected anything like this, and it's happened. So another writer I go on about a lot, um, who I love, is Marion Keys, and I really feel as though her last two or three books, something has started to shift. I think that she's obviously, and again, I think you know, like you, so so successful, achieves more than most authors, you know, could dream of, and sort of you know, beloved and sort of selling millions and millions of copies. But I think until. A few years ago, she'd be another, please don't judge me, but I love her, writer. And actually, I think people are finally starting to say, no, these books are very resonant and emotionally complex. They are, complex. they're and absolutely fantastic. they're about how, how humans are and who humans are. And that's always interesting. And I, yes, I think she is becoming more deep and involved um, in her writing, which I think is absolutely brilliant. But I know that she's, because um, she's mentioned it several times in interviews, but um, I think many years ago now, somebody, some journalist in a newspaper described her book as Rachel's Holiday as forgettable fluff. And she's never forgiven the person for saying that. You're looking I... as, if she, as if it was you. <laughs> no, no. I... I read Rachel's Holiday once a year and I genuinely believe it has saved me thousands of pounds, maybe tens of thousands of pounds in sort of therapy and help with mental health. I've never been to rehab. I've never been a a cocaine addict or an alcoholic, but everything in that book about addiction and about the emotions that we seek to numb and how we run away from ourselves and especially everything about the way that Rachel, as soon as anyone loves Rachel or is kind to her, she pushes them away and she is only ever drawn to people who she thinks are going to reject her. I thought it was just... It's so perceptive and so brilliant. So funny too. Yes. Oh, it's just amazing. That she can be so funny about rehab while being so kind of generous and kind and all of those characters in rehab have dignity and she makes them funny but she is never laughing at them it's astonishing I think that's one of my favorite books of all time it's just it's and the reveal is so slow Mm. um you're just peeling back layers all the way through the book hundreds and hundreds of pages and uh, and you're learning along with her it's it's genius it's a work of genius I really think that it's fantastic you know another spoiler her relapse it's quite far like the the sort of the structure of it and the pacing it's not where you'd expect it to be and you really still now I feel quite panicky for her and I think that's why I love rereading it because I it's only in those in that rereading that I know she's okay yeah I I find it really hard to reread but well almost impossible I would say I used to reread as I said books all the time when I was young to the extent that my mum paid me once um two shillings to re- if I would read Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier just so that I could read something that she loved that wasn't one of my books that I read endlessly and uh, I remember reading it and absolutely hating every page of it because I hadn't chosen to read it. <laughs> <laughs> I used to love rereading and now I just can't do it at all and I don't know why but I have downloaded Rachel's Holiday and and I am. Um, I remember so much of it from the first time, though. So I feel as if I don't need to reread it because I probably have forgotten loads. But I still feel as if it's all there, intact in my head. I'm just imagining you reading Rebecca and sort of getting to the end of the first chapter and be like, "Well, that's tuppence." <laughs> <laughs>
I think it was like my week's pocket money again. So it was quite a big deal. Um, so I read the whole book. I can't actually remember anything about it. I know I did read it because I was very honest. <laughs> <laughs> but no, and I don't think I've ever read anything by Daphne du Maurier since either. Are there any other books that you have managed to bond with your family members over? Do you sort of give each other books and share books much? Not with my family. With my friends, I, I've when I finish a book and if I say it's a really good one, then I hand it over. No, not so much. I, I think it's more difficult now that we're mainly, I'm, I'm mainly reading on a Kindle. So I can say that I really enjoyed a book and sometimes they'll download it as well. But uh, it's not its not like being able to hand physical books over, is it? Yeah. When did you kind of make the move to Kindle? Were you Because I know people, get, I mean, I'm, I read so much on my phone and it's terrible for my eyes, but it's also often quite convenient were you an early adopter or were you a holdout I think I remember I remember hearing about a Kindle for the first time and I just thought well that is the most ludicrous thing I ever heard of because did they cost about 50 pounds or something when they first came out and I just thought who on this planet is going to pay 50 pounds to buy a book why wouldn't they just buy the book itself I think I probably got given one for Christmas or something and and now I'm on to my third Kindle and now I like it better. Well, I usually read on my Kindle app on the iPad, really. I like the being able to increase the size of the print now um, because sometimes if I'm sent uh, a book, a proof to read, and I think, oh, fantastic, I really wanted to read this. And I open it and I thought, well, I can't, even though I've got my reading glasses on, if the print is too tiny, I just, oh, it's it's harder work than it's worth and I find myself not being able to do it. Can you remember any of the first books that you downloaded? I think it was Will Young's autobiography. (laughs) (laughs) Is it good? Not really, it was was okay. I Honestly, well, I I could go back through, couldn't I, and have a look, but um, no, that's I I like I'm fond of Will Young. I'd probably read that. I do. I really enjoy an entertaining celebrity biography. But it was just it was rushed out after he Ah. won um, Pop Idol, so he hadn't really done anything. um, Had time to reflect. Yes, he was so young. He was about twenty one years old, wasn't he? So he's become a good actor and whatever everything else ever since then. But at the time, anyway, yeah, I, I thought he was lovely. So that's why I bought it. I can't remember what else. Oh, I've just read Lisa Jewell's Invisible Girl, which um, has just come out in paperback. That's absolutely brilliant. Oh, I must read that. Yes, really enjoyed that. I, I would if, s- I, if I gave marks anywhere, I'd give it a 10 out of 10. Oh, wow. I mean, when I was um, reading Head Over Heels and Fast Friends, I was also reading Ralph's Party and One Hit Wonder, and I loved that her, her early books. I loved all of them, yes. Yes, ever, ever since she's changed, oh, well, no, I've read and loved all of them since Ralph's Party. Although I love them now, I just I know she's writing what she really loves to write. Mm. And uh, and that's a sort of quite a sort of personal psychological thriller type thing. It's, again, something I, I sort of think I would love to do. And then I realise that I couldn't do it because I put too much humour in. And people don't tend to like humour so much 
in that style of book? No, I think I realised that when I was writing Insatiable and talking to my agent when it was at its earliest stages, and I got about 50,000 words in, but I don't really know what to do with all these people. And, you know, we were saying we could go really dark with it. And there's obviously a bit of a mystery. And what is the mystery? And is this someone died and someone been murdered? And then I sort of thought, well, among other things, there are, there are too many jokes and I can't sit down and write with jokes just come out and I have very yeah. little control over that. So no psychological thrillers for me. <laughs> yes, well, that's it. That's how I started out trying to write the Mills and Boons because they were so popular back back then at the time. And uh, Mills and Boone used to reject my books and say, well, you can write, but they, these are too funny. Stop with the funny. Take it out. And I just discovered that I couldn't. I just couldn't do it. So I think I'm stuck with what I'm doing and I enjoy it. I enjoy it. very. I would very much like you to, <laughs> to carry on, if I, if I have any say in the matter. Yes, please. What do you think is the funniest book you've ever read or the book that sort of made you laugh the most? Ooh, gosh. I suppose Adrian Mole. It's not very um, original, is it, for me to say that because everybody probably says that. But Everyone they were says so that funny. Because they're just too good. What else is there? And I think that when I first read them, I was sort of young enough to not really. I mean, I really, really, you know, loved them and I thought they were very funny. But I was like, well, of course, this is just, you know, what books are. It's very funny. It's very good. And it's only now looking back and I can just see the the craft of every line. Yes. Tom Sharp years ago. I'm talking ancient now, aren't I? Um, but I remember sort of laughing so much I couldn't stop sometimes reading his lines. And uh, I do find nowadays that if I am torn between reading two books and I look up the authors and find out one of the authors is dead, I'm more likely to read the other book because I love reading a book and then being able to, if I loved it, tell the author that how much I loved it. And if I haven't got that opportunity, <laughs> I just think, oh, no, I won't bother then. <laughs> it's a bit like collecting art, isn't it? You're like, oh, I want to start the relationship now. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really bleak thing to say, sorry. Did you um, see recently a writer whose books are now impossible to get hold of, and I long for them, um, the Fran Leibovitz documentary on Netflix, Pretend It's a City? No, I've seen that um, on Netflix, but I haven't watched it. Is it good? Oh, it's great fun. And you're very New Yorky. But one of the things she talks about is working for Interview magazine and never getting on terribly well with Andy Warhol and selling all of her Warhols, I think, two weeks before he died. <laughs> oh, that would be agonising. Can you imagine? <laughs> Are there any books that you haven't mentioned that you wanted to talk about? I think I've managed to squeeze most of them in. Well, I've got so many. I mean, there's so many I've loved. Um, one that I really um, loved last year is The Red Ribbon by Lucy Adlington, which is a book. It's a YA book, actually, but it's set in Auschwitz. But it's it's a, obviously it's traumatic as well, but it's it's written with a very light touch. And the main character is um, she works in the sewing room creating dresses for the um the nazi wives but that that was a really good book that i enjoyed and one that comes out soon isn't out yet while paris slept by ruth Druart um is another absolutely fantastic book that i couldn't put down i highly recommend oh that's set during the war when somebody's being taken off 
to Auschwitz or wherever, she knows her child will die if she takes him. So she just hands him to somebody on the uh, station platform. This man takes the baby home to his wife and they look after the baby. And to begin with, I don't think she particularly wants to because they're trying to escape the country as well. And so it's really difficult time for them. But then they move to America after the war. And then sort of years later, the parents who they these family assumed were dead come back and, and get in touch and want their child back. Ooh, uh, it's a really, really, really emotional book. And I, I just read it and I thought, I can't imagine how this is going to end. How can this possibly end satisfactorily? But yeah, it's, it's really good. <laughs> Huge thanks to Jill. Her latest book and Sunday Times bestseller, And Now You're Back, is a tonic and a page turner and you will fall in love with Didi. Thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. Your book is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by Acast. You can follow us on social media at Booked. and if you enjoyed this episode, it would make my day if you left us a five-star review. It's the best way to help new listeners to find the podcast. Find a list of all the books mentioned by Jill at acast.com slash booked and check out her selection in our bookshop on bookshop.org. Finally, I leave you with this from Alberto Manguel. Maybe this is why we read and why, in moments of darkness, we return to books to find words for what we already know. See you next time. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 